all human. We can all say, talk shit about people in moments. You gave a perfect example, Andrea. Like it's not who we are, but it can be what we do to be able to say, Ooh, that, that would hurt me if, mm-hmm. if I ever heard you saying something about that. We know this person's awesome, or that might have been a blip. How can we have compassion for her? However you want to choose to enter that conversation so that we can start to identify and reshape those, those microaggressions and, and turn it around. This is your Kick-Ass Live podcast, episode number 337 with guest Alexia Vernon. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am so glad that you are here. Happy May. We are in it, aren't we? This year is, this year is this year. I mean, I don't, I have so many things to say about it and so many things I don't want to say about it, but we are all here listening to personal development. I am just incredibly grateful that you are choosing to spend some time with me and a really awesome guest that I have today. Alexia Vernon is here. She is someone, as many of my guests, we've run in the same orbit for a long time and have many, many mutual friends and had such an amazing conversation about visibility, about using your voice. So I'm going to get into that in just a minute. I am wondering if you can do me a quick favor. This will only take you maybe 30 seconds or a minute, and you only have to you have to click something. It costs zero dollars. So Amy Smith and I have been on this adventure creating a side project called Not Another Self-Help Podcast. I know many of you go over there and listen. We have two seasons under our belt, and we are sort of at a crossroads. We are not sure if we can continue it. I am writing my third book for all of you and need to put all of my focus into that. As you probably know, podcasting is very, very time-consuming, and we would love to get adopted by a media company called Exactly Right Media. If any of you are familiar with the podcast, My Favorite Murder, they are a part of that media company, and we think we'd be a great fit over there and fill a niche for their listeners, but they don't know about us, but we think that they should. So we have created this not annoying pitch for them because I know pitches can be really annoying. Anyway, we have spent all this time creating this amazing pitch and we want to get their attention in a non-spammy way. So we are choosing to use Twitter. We're not sliding into anybody's DMs. We're just going to get as many people as possible to kind of wave at them and tweet and say, hey, we really like Andrea Owen and Amy Smith. And if you listen to the podcast, you know, you can say that you like the podcast and we just kind of want to tap them on the shoulder and say, will you look at this pitch? So if you go over to notanotherpod.com slash adopt, that link is in the show notes of this particular podcast episode. We have click to tweets over there. Super easy to do. You just click and it tweets. I mean, I guess you have to have a Twitter account first. And if you want to create your own tweets, you can do that too. We have the people on there that we would prefer that you tweet at. I guess that's what you say, right? It's not Twitter at, it's tweet at. But again, notanotherpod.com slash adopt. We would be so incredibly grateful. And if you are a listener of that show, we're going to pop in a bonus episode 
I don't know, probably mid-June, I would say, and let you know what happened. If they said yes, if they said no, if they ignored us, if they, I don't know, whatever whatever happens, we're going to give you an update over there. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. All right, also quick announcement. We do have some openings for one-on-one coaching this time of year. If you are someone who wants to get unstuck, if you are someone who wants to take a deep dive in your life, if you are a coach who wants some consulting to get your business off the ground, to start a podcast, to write a book, whatever it is, we can probably help you. So you can head over to yourkickasslife.com slash coaching for life coaching or slash consulting if you are a coach and are looking for some help in your business. All right. Super pumped to bring you today's guest. For those of you that don't know her, let me tell you a little bit about Alexia. Branded a moxie maven by President Obama's White House Office of Public Engagement for her unique and effective approach to women's empowerment, Alexia Vernon is a sought-after speaking and leadership coach to female and male executives, entrepreneurs, media personalities, and change makers who want to spread their ideas, positively impact people's lives, grow their businesses, and advance their thought leadership. Alexia has presented for Fortune 500 companies, professional associations, and industry events, TEDx, and at the United Nations during the Commission on the Status of Women. Alexia is also the author of the book, Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice, Visibility, and Influence in the World. So without further ado, here is Alexia. Alexia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I love anyone that can come on the show to talk to my audience about how to communicate more effectively because... I have the opinion that so many problems can be solved by having a hard conversation. Do you share that opinion with me? (laughs) 100%. Well, let's let's jump in and start there about, and and, and I kind of want to, let's angle this from people who, maybe you can jump back and forth and give us examples for work situations as well as personal situations, like having conversations with partners and things like that. What? You might have to have difficult conversations with parents (laughs) and with partners and with kiddos. Are you really? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I often half joke with my audience that I would way rather have a hard conversation with my neighbor or my kid's teacher than with my mom. (laughs) I would rather have one with any client or any colleague than my dad. (laughs) Exactly. The people we're most emotionally attached to. So let's start with that. Like using communication to move people to action because it's pretty much, you know, I'll give you a quick example. Maybe, maybe, um, a woman who is a stay-at-home mom and she wants more help around the house or somebody's at work who is feels like they're doing all the work on on the project. So how can audience how can the audience find their voice in high stakes situations when there's a lot of fear and they're worried about hurting people's feelings and things like that? There's so much I want to say around this, but the number one thing we can do is to pivot away from what we want to say, like starting there. And instead, consider what's likely going on in the head of the person who I'm seeking to move to take action. 
And the reason that's so important is when we start with us and what we want, it usually comes across as frustration or anger or passive aggression or whatever else it is. But when we ask that question, what's likely going on in the head of my spouse, let's say in this particular instance, well, he or she might be thinking, I'm exhausted, I'm scared about the financial pressures that I have. Like When we start there, it allows us to think about how do we ensure everything that we say or every question that we ask is taking that person's point of view into account, not just because it's the quote right thing to do, but rather that's what persuasion is. Hmm. Okay. Well, I want to jump in and ask a question because I, I wonder if some people are thinking, and if they're not thinking this, they might now, is, <laughs> is like, where is the line between trying to take that other person's perspective? And in many ways, it sounds like you're saying like, be compassionate about the feelings that they might be having because they might be worried, scared, et cetera. And then also taking care of other people's feelings when we don't need to. Because I know oh, that yeah, that's... I'm not- I'm talking about it in a way that actually could be construed as manipulative and I'll model this. Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's not about considering where someone's coming from as a way to self-censor or not speak our truth. It's to be able to speak back to what they're thinking, to be able to move them beyond that potential resistance. So easiest example is to use my partner. Um, (laughs) And so one of the things that early in our relationship and Steve, who is my partner in business and and life, like we've been together almost 18 years. And Mm -hmm. so you know, at this point, there's very few surprises. But one of the things that used to drive me absolutely bonkers was he would leave the plates and bowls and whatever in the sink. And even though now he does all of the dishes, like that thing used to just make me nuts as somebody who definitely is on the OCD clean spectrum. Mm-hmm. So if I were to ask the question, what's likely going on in his head in this particular case, it would be, I'll just get to them later. Yeah. And so if I'm able to think through that and then say, now, My hunch is, sweetie, that you know you're going to get to these plates and bowls later, Mm -hmm. and that might be awesome for you. But what happens between now and when that happens is my anxiety starts to go nuts. And as a result of that, I'm likely to snap at you for super lame reasons that don't serve either of us. So I'm curious, how might we be able to shift the way dishes get done in our house? Yeah. Bam. And so to to, to deconstruct that, it's understanding what's going on so we can speak back to that with phrases like, if you're anything like me, or I've got a hunch this might be what's going on for you, or Mm -hmm. I'm curious what's up with that. And again, it's not because we're not going to speak our truth, but we want to ensure that what we're asking for is actually heard and considered before it's dismissed or um, before we're placated and nothing actually changes. Yeah. Or that person gets really defensive because you're saying something like, if you weren't so lazy and put the dishes in the dishwasher, because I know, you know, we've all been in that place where we just hold it in and hold it in and get angry. And that, who wants to listen to that? Like I don't. (laughs) And and domestic situations, we go there so much faster than we will in professional ones. Well, my second part of that question is around moving through the internal fear and maybe you kind Mm -hmm. of already answered it, but I I know that, and I'm, I'm assuming this happens at work a lot too, where Somebody wants to use their voice and they are worried about coming across as insecure or their voice cracking or shaking or their knees shaking or how does someone move through that? Yes. So as somebody whose primary work is helping people create presentations and as somebody who does not come naturally or inherently confidently to public speaking, 
the stuff that comes up when we are feeling like the situation is high stakes because there could be emotional volatility, it's the exact same stuff that comes up when we might get in front of an audience to speak. Mm -hmm. And particularly those who are introverts or highly sensitive, um, there's a few things we have to consider. One is how do we obviously start with the self-talk because that's everything. But then number two, how do we work with the physiology? So to go back to the self-talk piece, the number one thing we can do is when we start to feel all the stinking feels, the hands getting clammy, the heart beating really fast, feeling like our insides are sticking themselves to other organs, is to not label that fear. Because the minute we start to say, oh, I'm scared, oh, I'm nervous, oh, I'm anxious, we go into a story where we look like we are weak. Mm -hmm. And that disconnects us to our, what I call moxie, or to our voice, or to our power. And so what we want to do in those situations is choose a different word, like sensation. It's one of my favorite words in the English language. Because the minute we say, oh, I'm feeling some sensation. Oh, it's so neutral. I love it. It's so neutral. And it's objective. And it's actually truthful. Because Mm -hmm. that same feeling we feel when we're about to do something really exciting, the way the body processes that actually looks and feels a lot like the way the body processes it when we are in a high stakes, scary situation. So if we can just not problematize it and normalize it and actually give ourselves permission to go one step further and be like, oh, I'm on the edge of doing something big of speaking my truth. That's kind of awesome. Perspective of what happens, that's mm-hmm. me being bold. That actually, because we know from, from neuroscience that our thoughts impact immediately our feelings. And I don't just mean like being happy or sad, but the physiological experience. So when we start to do that, we start to dull the physiological experience. That's interesting. I've I've heard kind of different perspectives on that around fear and excitement. The physiological, what's happening is that your body doesn't know the difference really. And if we could just change our thoughts, then that can impact us hugely. So last year I was in Holland and I was up on stage and it was a, it was like a kind of like a festival, I guess it was, it was three days long and I had spoke the day before. And then the next day I was speaking again and, and I didn't realize I did not get the memo. I probably didn't read the email, but you were allowed to give the same talk two days in a row, but I didn't (laughs) give different talks. That would have made my job so much easier. Anyway. So it was the second day I'm giving a second talk and they had turned the lights up so much higher the second day. So I'm already kind of sweating. And then about 10 minutes into my talk, there was some people in the back that were getting up and leaving. Oh, and I'm, you know, this, right? <laughs> this pain. <laughs> so maybe those of you listening who don't speak up on stages, you know, maybe you're like at a work meeting or something and it's like your turn to like give your ideas. Like imagine like people just getting up and walking out. <laughs> That's what was happening. And I have never had that happen to that extent at a speaking gig where I was like, oh, oh, this is like more than one person. Like, And of course, I immediately go into that physiological place of just hot. My inner critic is like, you know, this is super boring. They don't get it. And the truth of it is there were so many other things going on. It was one of those things where you had to pick like all these awesome things to do at certain times. And also it could have been a language barrier. I mean, they speak Dutch and, and, and most of them spoke English and who knows what was really going on. But what I did in that moment, and this is similar to, I love your mantra of I'm having a sensation. 
what I did is I just said, okay, this is happening. Like this right here is happening. People are leaving. That's a fact. I can't lie to myself and be like, no, no one's leaving. And what I also do is in those kinds of situations is I tell myself, I'm like, this is kind of embarrassing, but I tell myself, maybe they have to go poop. <laughs> I feel like that is such a great excuse. I, I think that when people are driving really erratically as well, instead of getting angry or making up a story that it's about me, Yes. Maybe they have a real reason. Maybe they have to go return a text message or go to the bathroom. (laughs) I love your excuses. (laughs) Awesome. Whatever works. But yeah, I I also just kind of want to tag on to to what we're talking about is that if all of you listening, if you wait to have that hard conversation or volunteer to do that presentation at work until you're sure you won't come across as shaky or insecure... Never going to happen. Never going to happen. So I love that. And here's the other thing about our physiology is whenever, and I see this with people who give speeches all the time, in the first 15 to 20 seconds, I would say probably 80% of people, their voices quaver a little bit. Mm -hmm. But most people don't really notice or pay attention. And even if they do, they most definitely forget it after you've been communicating for 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is. And so also not holding ourselves to a ridiculous standard of perfection in our communication is really important in terms of giving us permission to have the communication. And so, yeah, even if the voice quavers, it's like, over it. And now we're on with what the rest of the communication is. Mm -hmm. And a little tactical thing, if you are a voice quaver, the slower and quieter you are when you start, the less likely it is for it to happen. And I'll say that again, the slower and the quieter you are when you start, the less likely it is for it to happen. Hmm. And so then as you start to warm up your vocal cords, it becomes easier and easier to get a little bit louder, to project if you're on stage, if you're in front of a room full of colleagues, whatever it is. Um, but that's another way so that you don't feel like, you know, the, the messaging is always, you got to start strong, but strong doesn't have to mean loud and it doesn't have to mean fast. Mm-hmm. What strong means is present and unapologetic. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I hate to throw this wrench in there, but can you give everyone some tips on what to do if or when the communication goes wrong? And there's a whole gamut of like ways that it could go wrong. You know, if someone's giving a presentation at work, it could be one thing, or if they're talking to their partner, the person could interrupt them, like all these different things. So what's your, what's your advice on that? Climb under the covers and never communicate. Thank God. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) The most important thing we can do in one of those moments is to not try to fix it immediately because we need to take a step back and evaluate and triage. And so while in the moment we might acknowledge, I'm getting the sense that this hasn't gone well Mm -hmm. (laughs) or that um, we're at an impasse or that what I intended wasn't what was received. Like I'm a huge fan of calling out what we're witnessing objectively. So I can see from your face or you're, you're avoiding eye contact so that we're not making up a story about it, but we're kind Mm -hmm. of checking in to see if these cues I'm picking up are accurate. But then also saying, can we revisit this after we've both had some time to think rather than going on and on and on and just spinning and getting nowhere other than deeper into mess? Mm -hmm. 
Then when we, we take a step back, I like to always ask, what was my role in that situation in terms of what happened? But more importantly, what can my role in that situation be in terms of moving it forward? So a lot of times we get stuck in, I need this other person to just understand me. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge fan of asking, do we? <laughs> like, what is it that we actually need? Yeah. And sometimes it is, I just need them to hear me. But more often than not, it's, I want peace. Or um, I want to feel like they care. But the clearer we can be on what's the outcome we're really going for, sometimes that lets us let go of some of the stuff we feel like we need to say. If we identify, it's not really going to move us towards the outcome we're seeking, then maybe yeah. we can let it go. Not because our voice doesn't matter, but because if, our vo- if we want to use our voice in a way to get the outcome we want, it might be self-defeating. We might be mm-hmm. better off picking up the phone and kvetching with a girlfriend yeah. uh, than doing this on and on and on with a partner. Yeah, or breaking up with someone, which is what I should have done in my 20s. <laughs> because my my objective always was to make that person change their behavior. <laughs> this will be a successful conversation if he completely changes the way he's behaving. And that's we don't have any control over that, unfortunately. Mm. Nope. And we the more we find ourselves in deep relationship with someone, whether it's in the workplace or it's a friend or it's someone in our community or anywhere else, the more we'll start to spot what is their we're talking a lot about conflict, but what is their conflict or what is their de- decision making style? I know that for my husband, if things get really heated, he will just walk out of the room mm-hmm. and like we're done. Not forever, but like yeah. he got to a place where he just can't deal. And in the early days, I would try to be all coach-like and ask him questions. And it was like, he is overstimulated. That is not the right approach. Just let him walk out of the room and be done for now. Mm-hmm. And then revisit it at a time because he's a deep thinker where he's had some time to think about what does he want to say? And the emotion has moved through and he's got his words back. For other people, they can be explosive. And I remember I was on the board of this nonprofit with somebody who every idea she had, she had to yell it. And it drove me absolutely nuts. And to be wow. fair, objectively, most people would probably say that the woman was a little cray-cray. But nonetheless, uh-huh. I wanted to be on the board. She wasn't going anywhere. And so having a conversation with her and saying, I love how passionate you are. So thinking about the conversation in her mm-hmm. head, she wants to be passionate. Like, let's lead with love here. And as somebody who grew up in a home where loudness usually meant the potential for violence, Mm -hmm. it shuts me way down. So is there a way we can be in this passionate space and tone it down a little bit so that I can better contribute to these conversations? Yeah. And she had a moment where she was super defensive and I stayed in silence and let her work through that. And then it was beautiful. Like, of course, she'd always have those inclinations, but then we developed a little code. And I'm a huge fan with the people you're communicating with a lot when you actually talk about the mechanics of how you're communicating when it is wonky and you identify, oh, I do this thing or that person does that thing. Mm-hmm. To have little codes that you can just do with each other, you know, it might be a thumbs up or it might be, you know, a silly little hand gesture can sometimes be a great way to manage conversations in the future to prevent them from going to the icky place. Yeah. That's I love that so much. It reminds me of when uh, years ago, my husband, my husband's similar to yours. He's just gets overwhelmed and 
for <laughs> wants to walk away from the conversation. I was hugely triggered by that, hugely mm-hmm. triggered. And as an extrovert, I process all my stuff out loud and want to talk about everything right now. Like it just <laughs> so it sent us to marriage counseling. And what the therapist had suggested to us is what we do now is that I have to not have to, but I agreed to allow him the space to go and process and chew on things quietly with the agreement in our marriage that we will circle back with each other within a certain amount of time to come back to the conversation. Because what was happening before is that we would just never talk about it. And I'm like, I can't walk around pretending like this is just forgotten. Yeah. And, but he could. And I was like, this is not going to work for me. Like, <laughs> we're not going to withstand the test of time if this keeps up. And so it worked hugely for us because now I still have the comfort and security of knowing, okay, he's not going to like go file for divorce, get in the car right. and go file, which is what I was making up was happening, but just needs time. And, and, um, and that's what's worked. That's great. Um, there's so many communication assessments. So when I do corporate stuff, I'll often with a team, for example, help them figure out which of the four kind of communication styles they have in these high stakes situations. And it becomes fascinating because once you identify like the person I'm with is a thinker, they need to walk away and think it through, or they're a blurter, they say what's up at the top of their minds, or they're an influencer. They're always trying to come up with theatrical, clever ways to be able to move people to take action. Mm -hmm. Or they are more of a systems thinker where they're trying to think about the whole piece it becomes so much easier because you start to see, oh, that's what that person does. And I no longer have any desire to change them. Rather, I want to work within the way they think and help them understand the way I do so that it can be more peaceful. Yeah. The way I look at it is like giving them the dignity of their own process Mm -hmm. with the agreement that you will all create resolution, for lack of a better word, together in the end and what works for everybody. So I love that. Thank you. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit because I am curious about how you responded to this particular thing that happened. And this might actually give some insight to people who aren't in our industry, but they had to have seen it. So walk us through what happened. You had done some Facebook ads and you were bullied online on these Facebook ads, correct? Oh, correct. Um, It was fascinating because I... Have been running Facebook ads. I'm trying to do the math, which, you know, math on the fly for me has never been a great strength. Maybe five years, four years, like yeah. we've been doing ads for a long time. And usually there's the trolls that do lame things like, oh, another speaking coach or um, this looks lame or, you know, yeah. like the color green you're wearing. But it had never felt um, so personal. This is a thing now. It is a thing, but I here's see the part. it all the time. It's Here's horrifying. The that was, these were not like crazy people. These were coaches, yes. experts, the mm-hmm. kind of people when I would look at their websites, I was like, oh, you look like somebody who would be my client. Right. And so that- Or a colleague. Or a colleague. We have, in some cases, 50 friends in common. Facebook is telling me like, this is really interesting for so many reasons. Um for some context for people who are listening, um, and you can go to my Instagram and uh, you'll be able to see, probably figure out which picture it is. Because in general, I tend to be a little bit sassy, but like I'm not a particularly like sexually bold dresser. But when I was hosting one of my mastermind events for a group of female entrepreneurs, I wore this black bodysuit, which FYI, Marie Forleo has worn as well. And I'm don't, I don't think she got the hate when she did um, a number of years back. But nonetheless, um, it showed some cleave. 
It, wait, is this uh, the one? I'm looking at it right now. I, I could not wait to go see it. So is it it's, it's mesh in the middle yeah. and it's like, you can see a little bit of your cleavage. Yeah. Yes. You know, and when you have like a maybe B, like when you're ovulating and your boobs are a little bit bigger, like yeah. <laughs> you don't see a lot of boob anyway, but this was the, fo- this was the photo and there were a range of different comments. Um, they were always incredibly personal. And most of them were something like, you're a slut, or why are you suggesting you need to show your tits to be able to get speaking gigs? And the ones that, of course, were the most soul-crushing, I can see that you have a daughter. You should be embarrassed. You're a horrible mother. Oh, my God. Um, and- like, I'm, I'm partly <laughs> shocked and partly yeah. not shocked because I have seen this happen. And and. I, I don't like to spend a whole lot of time on it, but especially if it's someone like if I would have seen that, given that I know you, like if I would have seen that, I I did it to a colleague of mine and people were saying similar things to that. And I commented under her and was like, oh, and I don't anyway, I this makes me so upset, but <laughs> this is your story. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I can feel myself getting a little heated as well. And of I've course. got that I'm in a really good place in my self-image right now, thankfully. Like if this had happened a few years ago, like it would have felt really different. But I think the thing that kept feeling like daggers going into my heart was I'm seeing this coming from people in my industry who are out there similarly trying to help women to empower their voices. And so first, when people would say, why does your body have anything to do with your voice? That was another thing that came up. It was like uh, everything. Our bodies are where our voices live, our stories live in ourselves. And so this whole idea that we should just live from the neck up is a very masculine paradigm for how to communicate and how to be a leader for starters. It's um, misogynistic too. Like that yeah. is, and these were women that were that were making these comments, correct? A hundred percent. So we weren't running any ads to men. Um, so there was not a single comment from anyone who Facebook deemed was male. Oh my God. So- There were some that it was just like, bless and delete. Like that is normally the way that I handle stuff like this. Bless and delete, bless and delete. Um, Because while a comment that feels like it's interesting is one that I might leave up there or let other people engage with, the reality is, is I'm running a business and I'm trying to get leads for launch. And like, I don't want the ads to suddenly turn into a conversation about feminism. Like, I'm happy to do that on my blog and my newsletter. Um, but this is just not the place for it. It's just right. distracting. And yet, this was the ad, of course, that was the most high converting because I think it was the one where my secret sauce was the most present. Like, it was sassy. It was not me trying to look like, this masculine, serious speaker on stage. But when there were comments that it felt like were people who were open to conversation, then Mm -hmm. I would strategically choose to respond. So for example, there was one, and we've actually become great friends and out of respect for who I know she is at her core, I don't want to give too many details, but there was one that insinuated I might have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I did, I still don't think that there's any reason why that wouldn't make me a phenomenal speaking coach. Mm -hmm. I don't. Um, And so my, my, when I thought about what's the conversation likely in her head right now, where is this coming from? I immediately, even not knowing this person zoned in on two things. Number one, she might have one Mm -hmm. or number two, she might work with people who do. Mm -hmm. 
And it turns out that it was number two. She has a long history of working with people with eating disorders. And so when I started to ask some questions rather than make assumptions and gave a little context for, you know, it wasn't the picture of the black and the gold. It was actually a picture from my TEDx talk where in full transparency, I probably lost five pounds because I'd had the flu the week before my outfit oh, no longer fit, but I loved it. So it was a little loose in the chest area. Um, but, but more importantly, ask the question as a woman um, who might be struggling with all kinds of trauma, eating disorders, whatever it is, why in any way does that impact my influence, my power, my voice? If anything, shouldn't my mess be a part of my message? And she wrote back and said, I didn't actually think that that was the person who was promoting the program. I thought that that was a stock image. And what I was speaking up about was using images of women that are not realistic images to try to sell product. And so we wound up having this great conversation. She apologized. She took ownership. I now have another bud in the speaking leadership development space. Um, so I do love when it feels like there's a moment to try to connect to do that rather mm -hmm. than immediately just shut people off who attack us or are hurtful or don't see the world through the same lens. Wow. I, I can imagine that. And, and, you know, people that aren't in the, in the industry launches are stressful as it is <laughs> again, because this is your livelihood and to, to have to deal with that. And on top of it being a communication expert, and this yeah. is literally your job to, respond or not respond with grace. And I mean, I'm only assuming that you had to kind of do the rally cry with all the close women in your life and say, this is happening. I need, I need some hands on my back. Yes. Well, it was a perfect shitstorm because first Mercury retrograde came at a different time this year. So we were launching a Mercury retrograde, <laughs> which meant that not only was this going on, and for those who are woo, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those who need a little context, whenever Mercury goes in retrograde, technology communication can get a little wonky. Mm -hmm. And so simultaneous to this was some update that was running in the background for our site had caused not my main website, but the subdomain where the, um, sales page for this speaker coaching program that I lead where it was to take one minute to load. Oh, wow. Like a normal website to take you know, like one to two seconds, mm -hmm. maybe 15 if it's a little sluggish, like a minute, forget about it. It times out for everybody. So I had that going on as well. And I was on a speaking tour. So I was doing all these CEO forms. So I wasn't even home. I was on planes it was a mess, but the most throw in your period. And that's just like, <laughs> which I probably had I probably. I because I'm in that fun stage where it's coming like every 20 days. <laughs> I'm either ovulating or menstruating like, Oh man. But the funny thing is, is that, so my husband came into my business full time about two and a half years ago, which I know is something you were kind of exploring as well. And when mm -hmm. I say he came into my business, he did, but he also came like full time into really being a true co-parent with my daughter because he used to travel a lot. So sometimes his role is like full on dad when she's homesick. But but needless to say, he was home while I was gone navigating through the tech issues and on the phone with me. And we were talking about the situation. And so she heard all of it. And when I got home, she had seen the picture millions of times because she had seen me the day that the picture was taken. Um, 
but she asked like what she doesn't really know what Facebook or Instagram is Mm -hmm. and we're kind of sparing in the photos we post of her like we'll choose like fun ones of her birthday but we try to not like have Instagram and Facebook be a glam fest of our daughter but she asked like what's happening with these pictures and why don't people like them and what are they saying and so it became a really beautiful opportunity for us because she's already dealt with some bullying and uncomfortable things even though she's only in kindergarten at school for us to talk about how hurt people hurt other people and what do we do when somebody says something that attacks the way we look. So much like I was at the age of 12, even at the age of, I think at the time she was four, some girls were commenting on her having long arm hair and them not Mm -hmm. liking it. And so it felt like this beautiful moxie moment between us where we got to practice and role play conversations for how to speak up for ourselves and do it with compassion, but also full confidence in those moments when someone hurts us. And so I always believe that in every situation, we can choose to use rainbow goggles in terms of how we want to view it as an opportunity that's happening for us rather than to us Mm -hmm. or gray cracked glasses where it's, you know, just happening to us and it's shitty. Um, And so I tried as much as possible to look at it from the rainbow perspective. Yeah. I I recently sent out an email to my, to my people about looking at things from a new perspective. It's the age old coaching question of what's the gift in all of this. And the timing on that question is important because if somebody would have asked you that the day it was happening, you probably wanted to punch them in the face, but Farther out, farther out, you can you can see. Mm-hmm. I just want to say I'm sorry that that happened to you. It just it's so incredibly shitty, and I I don't want to get on a big feminist rant. Like I well no that's a lie I do, but I won't. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. I just and I and I just want to say this thing about it is that I see it so much with women life coaches that. And, and I'm like, do you not realize that people can see who you are and then just click on your Facebook profile and, and that word travels? Like it's a big industry, but it's a small industry. Like we know each other. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, it's such internalized misogyny. It's such internalized misogyny. And so if anyone is out there listening and you have done that, which I don't think that anybody is, but if you have done, please stop. And also get curious about why you're doing it. I think that you know, those people are triggered. Like there's something inside of them that is so triggered that is making them create such immense judgments of you. And I think that we dehumanize people that are on Facebook ads. Like that woman said, I thought it was a stock image. Mm-hmm. In in order for us to treat people that poorly, we have to dehumanize them. It, it, like Brene Brown says um, something like people are hard to hate close up. Yeah. And she's, she really started talking about that when, when we as a culture became so divisive politically and it really is true. Like people are really hard. I, I had some some dude trolling me on Instagram. Um, of course, like <laughs> it's such a chicken shit punch for women is to say stuff about their age. Mm-hmm. And there was a part of me that wanted to like get on the phone with him and just like DM mm-hmm. him and be like, here's my phone number. Call me. Let's have a conversation. And and I didn't, but I'm like, I'm so curious as to what is hurting so much in your life or what kind of massive judgments do you have that you think it's okay to treat people like that? I would posit that in most of these cases, it's a lot of people who are actually 
playing small in their communication in the situations where it really matters. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they're needing conduits to express themselves. And when it happens, it's always in ways that are really low stakes because there's no vulnerability in leaving a message. I mean, if you're, as you pointed out, Andrea, like you should realize people know who you are. So actually, it's a little more high stakes than you think, but it feels low stakes. But what would it look like if the things we are hiding behind a computer screen to say were things we got out from behind the computer screen and addressed Mm -hmm. in a way that was compassionate? So if you really are concerned about, you know, women's body image, then, you know, engage in ways where you can have that conversation in a respectful, productive way. But in most cases, I think Mm -hmm. in conversations where you're being triggered or you're frustrated, you're probably stuffing and then it's coming out on people you have no relationship with because they're easy. Yeah. And I I absolutely agree that hurt people hurt people. And I remember a long time ago, this was back in the the beginning. Do you remember when, I know your daughter is, is younger than my kids are, but this was back in like the mid 2000s when, oh my gosh, what is the website where we could go and there were forums and there were forums for like each age that your child was at. Oh, it's going to bug me so much now. It was like, oh, so interesting. You're baby, right. my daughter a little baby something. I made all kinds of friends. I'm still Facebook friends with some of the women that I met when my son, who's now 12, when they were first born on this site and it's, it'll come to me baby center or something like that. Oh yeah. 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 I actually do remember baby okay. center. I, think I was really big there when I was pregnant in terms of like yeah. what's happening with my fetus. Every exactly. Thing. They sent you an email like every week yes. or something and told this you what's happening right now. I think it was baby center. And there was, I was on so many different forums there and there was a woman who had posted this really odd question and you can tell there was it was something kind of weird. And there was like a a couple of people that jumped on her about it. And I did too. And immediately when I posted it, I was super judgy. I was like, oh, this doesn't, this feels really shitty. And then she replied to me and was like, I always thought you were so nice on this forum. I'm really surprised by your response. And I, I private messaged her and apologized, but that very much was me feeling so incredibly lonely as a brand new mother and just wanting to be a part of a community. This was before I had done all my own work too, wanting to be a part of a community and just wanting to belong. So I understand to some extent why people communicate that way and can be compassionate that something else is going on. I love that you brought up one of my favorite words and I know you're trained in Renee Brown's work and I adore her as well, but that word belonging. Yeah. One of my favorite experiments that I will recommend to folks who feel like their communities are a little toxic, like I love my friends, but they can be a little bit catty, is when you hear some of that stuff going on, and I hate to say it, but I think women skew this way a whole lot more than dudes who are a little bit more like live and let live. Yeah. Um, but whether it's moms who are talking about other moms, what they are doing, what they aren't doing, or any other context, is when you hear that stuff start to go, What does it look like not to make the mom who's talking wrong, Mm -hmm. but not to be a passive observer to the hate speech? Because that's actually what it is. And there's no doubt in my mind 
that what we're seeing in schools around bullying and gossip is just what's being modeled, even if the actual tone um, or the actual deployment of strategies is different, but it's just what our kiddos are witnessing from us. And Mm -hmm. so I really work hard in those moments with my friends who are a lovely group of people, but like we're all human. We can all say, talk shit about people in moments. You gave a perfect example, Andrea, like it's not who we are, but it can be what we do to be able to say, Ooh, that, that would hurt me if, mm-hmm. if I ever heard you saying something about that. We know this person's awesome or that might have been a blip. How can we have compassion for her? However you want to choose to enter that conversation so that we can start to identify and reshape those, those microaggressions and, and turn it around. Yeah, I have done a lot of work in the last really many years in recognizing quickly when I fall into the gossip trap. And I do think that gossip is a way for us to, I hate to say it, but I do think that gossip is a way that we bond, you know, maybe when we don't have anything else to talk about, or it sort of also becomes like a fast track to connection in some ways. And when I realized that I was doing that, I told the story a long time ago. Um, I was at a I was at a, an event for a bunch of coaches and I realized that, that I had done it. And I circled back to the person and was like, I wanted to apologize for gossiping about this person that um, mm. that we don't know. Like we didn't know this person. And I, I realized it right after it came out of my mouth that I wanted the person I was talking to to be my friend. And I thought, if I have this little bit of information that I don't even really know is true and I tell her about it, I think she'll like me more. And that's 100% what I was doing. And so I circled back and she goes, you know what? I didn't even realize that that was gossip. And I'm glad that you pointed it out to me. And and I know that might sound like, oh God, like I roll a little bit like, oh, two no, life coaches having no. a moment. But it was it, ever since that happened too. And I think that was in 2015. I have, I have really paid attention to when I do it at home too. And, and the way I kind of back out of it is because I, you, what you pointed to is really important is not making the other person wrong. Mm -hmm. So you could say something like, you know, one of your friends is gossiping about your neighbor or something. And then you could tell that person, "Mm, I really don't like to gossip about people when they're not here. That's that's (laughs) just (laughs) shitty. (laughs) (laughs) That's just contempt and like, Oh, so I, I, what I have done in the past is just either just blatantly change the subject, which can be kind of obvious. Or also I just kind of like make a, like a little cringe face and say something like, Oh gosh, I, I so wish that she was, kind of here to defend herself because I don't even really know if that's true or not. And you know what I mean? This is, you know, it's kind of awkward. And so I, I do my best to, to kind of pull myself in. If you get what I'm saying, like totally. I'm, I'm like, I'm in the same boat as you. Like anyway, trying to not make me seem better than that other person mm-hmm. for deflecting the gossip. Yes. Uh, so many good things that you pointed out there. One is also taking ownership of when we do it because mm-hmm. We none of us are immune to acting like shitheads from time to time. Mm-hmm. So I think the more we're able to call that out, which is very different than apologizing for taking up space for being human. But like if we truly say or do something that has a potential to be hurtful, owning it, but also interjecting humor. And that's one of the reasons I, I love everything you say, everything you write, everything you do is as somebody who has like an improv and theater background, I know that the moment I can bring humor into anything, whether it's with little people, big people, people in between, mm-hmm. they're so much more likely to hear the message, but not feel guilty, embarrassed, or full of shame over it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it helps. I think it helps to just kind of 
pull yourself in as human and, and like you said, take ownership for it and just make that not make, not make that other person feel othered because then that elicits shame. That's basically what you just said. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just highlighting and applauding over here. Uh, Oh my gosh. Thank you. This, this conversation, as I thought it would, would before we started talking kind of went in its own direction. And I thank you so much for being candid and for sharing your personal story and, and what happened and, and your expertise. So thank you so much. And I cannot believe I haven't said it before. The book is called Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice, Visibility, and Influence in the World. And we will put that link in the show notes and tell everybody what the best place is to find you. Thank you. I try to keep it simple. So on Instagram, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever I am, Alexia Vernon. And um, for folks who are like, I want more communication and leadership tips that I can use to empower my conversations, um, you can go to alexiavernon.com and I've got a fun um, audio training that's five strategies to be able to have more moxie in your communication in all areas of life. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And everyone listening, you know how much I value your time. And I so appreciate that you choose to spend it here with me and my guests. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.